The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney. Our program is about turning the negative challenges in your life into positive experiences. If you feel that life's issues are bogging you down and there is no hope in sight, you've arrived where you need to be. We'll discuss the challenges and offer solutions that you can start working on immediately. Now, here is your host, Jeanette Abney. Good morning, and welcome to Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney. I want to first thank my Heavenly Father for blessing me with another day today and for all that He's done in my life. Today, we're going to have an interesting show, as today we're going to be talking about normalizing mental health. And this episode and this topic is going to be very interesting because one of the things is in our society, I'm noticing that many individuals lack knowledge and information when it comes to understanding mental health and mental illnesses. And as our nation continues to grow, this is becoming a problem and it's something that millions are either dealing with personally or experiencing them themselves. And this lack of awareness and understanding is becoming a hardship for families, not only just the families, but other individuals in our society and the individual itself. It's draining our healthcare system and it's frustrating the individuals that's being identified with such an illness. So today's topic is to educate, provide insight and resources to help individuals understand and normalize mental health symptoms such as childhood disorders, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, just to name a few. We will also explore information in the DSM-5, and we're going to share some information regarding medication as we discuss what is mental illness, the signs and symptoms, because the goal is to attempt to end the taboo regarding therapy, as I, along with my discuss, discuss what many are afraid to talk about so that we can reach out to others and get help. So at this time, I want to introduce my guest, Charles Kahalafakin. Charles, can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Good morning oh. to you, Jeanette. Good morning. Good morning to the listeners. Yes, and I just want to thank you first for allowing me to, to join you. I, I hope that I can um, uh, be a good partner for you today, and so I'm really honored and humbled to be part of the discussion today. Well, I picked you for many, many reasons, and one of them is because the way I met you. And when I met you, I attended a Mental Health First Aid USA. It was a training that you did. But before we even talk about that, tell the listeners who you are and what you do. Oh, well, okay, just real briefly about, um, we have, um, I work with, I founded an organization called Harmonious Solutions, and we provide mental health services uh, to a very diverse community. However, we also have the emphasis on working with the um, African-American community with a, uh, a focus on African-American males. But we do serve a completely uh, ethnic 
diverse community. So uh, and part of that is to to really uh, focus on the disproportionality and disparity within the, the mental health um, industry overall. And usually when we're looking at the disparities, we're concerning ourselves with uh, cultural and ethnic disparities around um, uh, services and access to services. So Harmonious Solutions does that. And then the other, the second part of that is that we have a focus on providing opportunities for those who are on a career pathway to uh, secure their license as, uh, as therapists. Uh, and uh, so that's a train. So we also are a training ground to get more people uh, who are underrepresented in the professional field to serve those folks who are also being underserved or oftentimes overdiagnosed. So that is probably the crux of what Harmonious Solutions um, does regarding mental health services. Okay, Kahalifa. You know, I was going into basically how we met. And I met you because I attended one of your trainings. It was fun. It was interesting. And what I liked about it was it made mental health illnesses to, you guys described it to a point where it made sense. And people were able to understand what it was about, some of the symptoms, and kind of breaking some of the taboos. Because as we know, mental health issues basically affect all society in some way, shape, or form. And it is estimated that one in five Americans will experience a diagnosable mental disorder at any given year. It is extremely likely sometimes that we will also encounter someone, whether it's in our community, either church, in our neighborhood, who was diagnosed with a mental disorder. And I want to talk about my upbringing. And I know growing up, there were people that had certain disorders, but we didn't know what what those disorders were. We thought everybody was just crazy. So everybody was given the term crazy, but now we're trying to figure out what the crazy mean. You know, what do we mean to be considered and called crazy? So... That's one of the things I want to talk about today. Now, when we talk about the term mental illness, mental health, and mental disorder, it seems like we throw that word around and it's kind of used interchangeably because we're not clear about that. Tell me a little bit about when you are working with individuals, how do you explain to them the difference between or just talking about a mental health, a mental illness, or a mental disorder? Well, good questions. Um, one of the things that we look at, you know, oftentimes uh, people are a little reluctant sometimes. They may be in need, but they're reluctant because uh, when they come in for uh, services, they do not want to be labeled. Uh, there's a big stigma as it relates to anything surrounding when you hear the word mental. Just even mm-hmm. the word mental itself, you know, it really conjures up a lot of different emotions and thought processes and, and, you know, and biases regarding just the word itself. Now, the way that we approach some of that, depending upon the client for us or even a group, if we're in front of a group, is to identify this whole thing around the mental health industry. So we want to make sure that people understand that there is a, an overall industry just like it is a, a physical health industry. And there's mm-hmm. so many components to that. So we want to kind of um, somewhat normalize and dispel, just demystify the mess, if you will. So that's one of the first things, is to look at mental health as an industry. And within other mental health as an industry, then you have other components that you're looking at. Yes, there is this thing that we focus on and talk about called mental illness. You know, and there is that, you know, specific processes around uh, and components around mental illness. And it, it can range, you know, from, from mild to moderate to severe mental illness. 
then, you know, we also take a real good look at, excuse me, excuse me, uh, as it relates to uh, mental health and mental wellness. So what we like to use and change some of the language, as you know, is that sometimes it depends upon the language that we choose. And so for us, we try not to even use the word, you know, know, mental illness or mental health. We look at mental wellness because we want to look at more of a positive management, you know, process where, yes, you can be ill, but to ill, you know, for illness, there's also this process, if you will, for wellness. So to, to dispel the myth that that mental illness is, is, is this death wish, so to speak, for life, but no, treat it properly, understanding properly what's going on with each individual or family that's before you, you know, that, that there is a process to wellness and get them to understand and begin to trust. Because one of the things we recognize also um, uh, with the people we serve is that there is this thing around trust, around mental health, mental mm-hmm. wellness. There's this whole issue around trust just overall in the health industry, whether it's physical or, or, or mental. So that's what we try to do is approach it from a way that we can uh, minimize the anxiety and uh, also some of the, the uh, built-in biases, you know, relating to this whole industry at large, and then break it down also as a final note uh, to break down that there is, there's different um, uh, treatment professionals in the industry overall, from psychiatrists, psychologists, um, LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers, to MFTs, medical family therapists, to um, licensed clinical social, uh, to um, uh, licensed uh, it was the LPCC. I forget the, the total title. I forgot. Maybe you can help me it's with that. It's so Counselor Practitioner. And there I you go. Thank sure. you very much. <laughs> and so we want to let people understand that there's that there's this different kind of of of, um, of treatment professionals, and then what they do, and and how they uh, oftentimes can work together uh, to help with the you know with the healing process that uh, a person or a family or even a community may be uh, fighting to it. So does that answer your question a little bit better? It does. It does answer my question. And basically you talked a lot about trust because trust yes. and relationships are the key concepts here. And like I said, I like the fact that when you do your trainings, your outreach, and trying to educate individuals to give them a better understanding basically of what this is about. And a lot of it is to basically to reduce the stigma. And, you know, because there's a cluster of negative attitudes, people's beliefs, you know, that motivate. You know, we got public fear out there. People reject individuals. Sometimes we try to avoid individuals that we think have certain disorders or illnesses. We discriminate against people with mental illnesses. And those attitudes really need to change because, you know, we do this not in my backyard, not in my home, but a lot of times this is in our home. And what happens is when individuals start feeling that, many suffer in silence rather than risk yes. of being discriminated or ridiculed if they seek help. And sometimes the family members don't even know what's going on. Now, the stigma that we're talking about, uh, it basically can come in many forms. Sometimes you can see it, sometimes you can't. A lot of times you see it in housing, employment, and certainly in relationships. You know, it's one of the things I know when I'm doing therapy sometimes 
you know, I hear couples arguing over both being bipolar. You bipolar. No, you bipolar. You bipolar. I'm like, God, everybody's bipolar. You know, but the thing is, that stigma that we see a lot of times, we got to work on that because it can appear as a prejudice, discrimination, fear, distrust, stereotyping. And a lot of times, like I said, people don't want to be bothered with that. And people, and most of the times, people don't know what to do. So today we're going to talk about and let people know that mental illnesses is nothing to be ashamed of, but a stigma and bias because that shames us all. And we need to stop. We really need to stop, and we need to figure some things out and how to better be able to serve individuals. Now, Kahalifa, I want to start with some of the common misconceptions because we talked about biases and stereotypes, but and this is coming basically from the book. And it says, mental disorders are signs of weakness or personality flaws. If someone wants to be happy, they simply can be. If you ignore the problem and use willpower, the problem will simply go away. What do you have to say about that in regards to that misconception? That just just don't worry about it; it'll go away. Okay, so that last part I, I didn't quite see the last piece. He basically said, if you ignore the problem and use willpower, the problem will simply go away. Meaning, and, and see, we haven't even talked about some of the right. The okay, disorders. yeah, you know, I, I you know this is really. Um, uh, uh, interesting the way you, you, you brought that up because that is what we, you know, we are led to believe is, is sometimes that, that uh, you know, that it will go away. you got to have the willpower. But then I'm going to stretch it out a little bit further. Sometimes, uh, for many of us in the community that I'm engaged with, <clears throat> we we put a lot on our, um, uh, our our pastoral leaders, as an example, mm-hmm. you know, in the faith-based community. And so we'll say, we'll pray it away. We'll, you know, but then there's also people in the faith-based community that feel as though there is some type of, of emotional, behavioral, mental um, challenge or disorder, if you will, um, that it is demons inside of you. So mm-hmm. here, you know, for here on one end, you say, uh, ignore it, you know, get the real power, and it'll go away. And then on the other side of that coin, then you have, oh, we'll just pray it away and God will take care of it, you know. Uh, or his demons, and so we got to do, we got to exercise this demon out of you. And so when you have these two major kind of thought processes within our society, what it does is from what I've, what my experience has been, is that it just exacerbates, you know, the, the, uh, the, the stigmas, the biases, um, mm-hmm. the, the, um, the assumptions as it relates to, and it also increases, you know, the, um, the, the, you know, the avoidance of people that one, um, that need the help, and two, the people that 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 um, that are experiencing, you know, a particular challenge at the time. So we have to take a real good look at what our society says. Our society, if you will, is, you know, is, 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 has been somewhat contradictory. On one end, we talk about how much we really need the uh, support of mental health and mental health services and professionals and such. But on the other hand, if you go, then we're also labeled. So the so our overall society, you know, has to recognize that, you know, that we have to work on that, as you mentioned earlier, that it has to change. But then the question is, you know, where does the change begin? You know, mm-hmm. so some of the changes begins with some of the training that you mentioned that we do. That's what we like to do. Is do we do community forums on mental health or mental, you know, mental wellness. We do trainings, as you mentioned. We do presentations and outreach. Yes. That's what we do as an agency, an agency that provides these services. However, that's only one piece. 
you know, you as a practitioner, uh, you know, what you do, you can only do so much, but it also means that we're the ones working at the ground level, so to speak, Jeanette. We also have to recognize that the challenge is going to be educating those in power that write policy. Correct. That, that, you know, that, that validate and verify or award funding. So we have to make sure that, you know, that, that part of this is, is, is educating those particular people that really make a decision and the way that you and I serve the communities that we do. And so, so, so it's a real big undertaking. But I, this is just my, my, my assumption, and I know what it does when you assume things, but my assumption is that when you have people in power making decisions and policy and funding, who really themselves do not even understand the industry that they're mm-hmm. speaking to or addressing, then all they do is make it worse. And they don't know they're making it worse. And they and they, then it doesn't seem as though that there's the investment to sit down and clearly understand this this thing called the mental health industry at large. And then oftentimes, this last statement with this, oftentimes, they will continue to rely only on certain people that they are comfortable or familiar with, where they may not they may not come out of those ivory towers and come down, you know, on the street level to where the actual work is being done. And when you have that much of a gap between the ivory tower and the street, there is going to be this continuous misconception, mismanagement, and misdiagnosis and overdiagnosis and all the things that you and I experience as well as feeding into the stigma, you know, feeding and into the biases and the misunderstanding. So those, mm-hmm. that was, that, those are the things that I believe that makes the difference about how we make this change. When she spoke about how do we stop it, to me, those are some of the things that have to be at place. So those that are mm-hmm. listening, you know, part of your challenge is to find out what your local politician may think about, you know, mental health. What is his or hers viewpoint, you know, in regards to this? What do they think? So find out what's going on because most of us, as Jeanette said, you know, in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, as well as our churches or workplaces, in which we have seen a lot take place, you know, people are being impacted. One in five, uh, I wonder if it's, it might be more than one in five, Jeanette. That's true. That's true. Let's go to the next one. The next one, it indicates, and this is one of the ones that we've seen, and like I said, we're going to touch a lot about some of the disorders to try to give some of the, to the listeners some information in regards to some of the symptoms so they can have an idea of what, what disorder has to do with, with, with symptoms. But mental, people with mental orders are silent. You know, we've been seeing a lot of that in the news because every time we watch the news and we see somebody in a a place and shot up somebody or killed somebody, we we always want to attribute it to mental health. And people are afraid. Now, we talk about gun laws and gun control, and like you said, it starts at the top, and we need to educate ourselves and have a better understanding. Uh One of the things that it indicates here is individuals living with mental disorders are no more likely than a member of the general population to commit a violent act. But yet, we're like thinking everybody who's doing these things have a mental disorder. And it says more than one quarter of persons with severe mental illness 
have been victims of a violent crime in the past year at a rate of 11 times higher than the general population. And to put it another way, research shown, has shown that the vast majority of people who are violent do not suffer from mental disorders. What do you have to right. say about that, Carlissa? Well, you know, okay, what we've come to, okay, because it's convenient, it's, it's convenient to be able to attribute these kind of societal, you know, um, uh, issues or horrific, you know, a- actions as easy to blame it on mental illness. And mm-hmm. because it's a default, because that means when we blame it on on, 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 on mental illness, as an example, then we can deflect what some of the real societal issues are relating to that. So, so to me, that's what, that's what part of this, this process really is. And again, it does also, it just really, uh, uh, exemplifies, you know, the, you know, the misconceptions relating to mental illness and its impact on you know, on society overall. Because if that's mm-hmm. the case, Jeanette, every last one of us can be identified and labeled with some type of mental illness, including those making the decisions, labeling the other folks. Why they can be labeled as well. <laughs> so it's really kind of a, you know, a, a, a strange bag when, when we look at it, you know, from that vantage point. And yes, um, the people are, are, are uh, overstressing this process, mm-hmm. and if they really understood, you know, we have a, okay, here's another, I'm going to throw this in. We have a culture of violence. America has a historical culture of violence. So if that's the case, would we identify that violence is a mental illness? Mm-hmm. And if that's uh-huh. the case, then our society is mentally ill at large. Okay. Let's talk about the next one. This one says, healthy people (laughs) aren't affected by traumatic events. If they are, it's because they really do have a little problem. And we know that trauma can affect anyone. And even with PTSD and people in the military, that's a whole other culture that we're also seeing a lot of mental health issues within our military personnel because of things that they've witnessed, people where they're living, people... So there's a lot going on that we need to address. And I know, Kahalifa, we don't have a lot of time to uh, talk about a lot of the different things because this is something that can go on and on and on. But we do need to get more, become more involved, and we do need to find ways to try to be able to help individuals. Education is one. Now, I want to talk a little bit about not only just starting with the early intervention, because early intervention is, is, is key. Now, even though we know that there are more than 200 mental disorders, whether it's depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, you know, amongst the common forms, they occur in people of every age, race, gender, and socioeconomic status. We know that symptoms and warning signs may vary in severity and may include prolonged periods of a lot of different things, whether it's sadness, excessive fears, worry, delusions, social withdrawals, inability to function. So when we're looking at these things, those are some of the signs that we not only need to start looking for, but we need to start looking for them also in children. Because, you know, we, I believe, and I, I did my internship at Juvenile Hall, and people used to say, you know, why do you want to go to juvenile hall? And I felt that if I can work with some of these kids while they're young and catch them while they're young, that would be 
a better chance of that person not becoming a criminal, not being a criminal justice system when they become an adult. And like you said, the trust, the relationship is important because you have to have that connection. But when you're right. at the program, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. When you're looking at the pervasive developmental disorders, what's going on? With, let's talk about some of these with, these with the kids and some of the symptoms and things that we're seeing in kids in regards to, like, the ADHD, the Asperger's disorder, the, um, you know, kids being diagnosed with Tourette's, even depression now. What are some of the things that you've seen, you know, in, in society and basically in your agency with working with children? Well, I mean, well, well not, to, not to be so redundant, but uh, I've seen a lot of what you mentioned, you know, of, of course. Uh, and, and, and I think that one of the processes here, and some, you know, because you'll, you'll see children that are completely, you know, just, that are often um, distracted, cannot focus, um, mm-hmm. uh, can't be still, um, you know, that, that are, um, I guess I'm going to use this word loosely for our listeners, uh, that may seem like they're agitated. Um, and then we have, and then we'll label them as oppositional defiant, you know, you know, so that they're defiant about certain things and so on and so forth. But, you know, uh, what happens is that uh, what I've seen is that when, when parents bring in children or teenage adolescents or teenagers, you know, um, it's, it's oftentimes when they just feel as though they can't parent anymore. It's whatever's going mm-hmm. on, it's just not working. So it's a crisis situation, so to speak. And they've ignored certain things, and they they have denied. So denial is a big issue when it comes to this. And so that denial from the parent is then really, um, uh, you know, it's spillish into the child's developmental process as it relates to early intervention. And so we can't be afraid to 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 say, oh well, my my daughter or my son is exhibiting behaviors that are quite different than what I've seen or or you know before, and it's the first time of that. You know, start start getting, you know, start reaching out to, mm-hmm. to, to have a certain level of intervention. So, so those things are, are, are things that I encourage folks to do. So, you know, you might see, we might see children as young as five, six years old, and there's certain behaviors. Now, here's the other thing with this, is that I would also challenge the idea about some of these behaviors, children not being able to adjust mm-hmm. to their feelings. So now you're talking about children feeling things, Jeanette, but don't know how to express it. They cannot articulate it verbally, and then their behaviors, you know, um, you know, are, are those behaviors that we would identify as, as being sometimes with their reasons being a bad kid. You're being this, you know, so then we're labeling, we'll make the end right there, and we pass it off, not recognizing that those early behaviors, you know, mm-hmm. may mean something else. Not that we're going to be, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, overreactive to to it, but what we want to do is make sure that it may not be something that's going to yeah. to to lead into something more serious. Because one thing you and I both know is that you know when you have early intervention and you can get early diagnosis and treatment that is effective, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you do have that opportunity for prevention. So, so that's mm-hmm. that whole thing around that about that uh, uh, around. So those behaviors are the kinds of behaviors you want to stand out for, you want to look out for. Some of the things we've seen also is isolation. Children will isolate because sometimes we'll come in and look at children that, that may have some very severe kinds of behaviors, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and so it's a coping mechanism for the pain that they may be experiencing. So then I'll end up this way and say, 
you know, with it being holistic, mental health is holistic for the entire family. What is the environment like for that child? What is the environment like for that child at the school? Parents, are we aware of what those things are? Because it does take an emotional and mental toll on children that then act out like a child, you know, mm-hmm. based on what their coping mechanisms are and personalities are in that, in that moment in time. So it takes time and investment to, uh, you know, time and investment into early intervention and prevention. Well, one of the things you said, Kahalifa, is a lot of times the parents don't know, and they don't want to seem like a bad parent. I remember when I was driving a school bus, Dr. a long, long time ago, and I used to drive a bus with special needs children, and some of the children that rode my bus were as young as three years old. And I was wondering why those kids were in school that young, but what happened was the doctors were identifying them early, as early as three, because either the kid wasn't talking, the kid was either, either exhibiting, um, odd behavior, you know, and that's when we were looking at autism as they would either be playing with a string, you know, fixated on certain items, walking around in circles, and even when not only me driving a school bus is I was also a basketball coach, and I noticed that a lot of my kids that played on my team had special needs. They were either ADHD or things of that nature. I remember one kid used to just run in circles and run in circles, and I would know when the parent didn't give him his medication because of his behavior. But one of the things is letting parents know, if you're seeing these behaviors in your kids, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent, but get your kids some help because you have no idea what that kid is going through when that kid is struggling inside, not able to tell you what they're feeling and what they're experiencing. And somebody got to be the bigger person and say, hey, you know what? I need some help. Because one of the things with the autism and the Asperger's is we went from watching kids playing with strings or or porn things. And, and, you know, I I have this one lady I used to work with. She would take um, some hot water and pour it in a cup and then pour it in a bowl and then pour it in a cup and then pour it. And I would just be sitting there watching her and she would just keep doing it. And she was autistic. But the thing is, sometimes we don't know what to do. And what happens now is some of these kids that are autistic or have Asperger's, they, even though there's certain symptoms in regards to their social skills, is number one, is you know there's an issue. But a lot of times they're not, they're so far on the spectrum to where it's very hard for people to be able to identify it. And a lot of parents don't know what to do. Parents don't know what to do. Teachers don't know what to do. The community don't know what to do. And we do need to do better with that. Now, let's, because I know times, because we got a whole lot to talk about, Kahalika, but let's get into mm-hmm. some of the, not only just the um, the, ch- the children in regards to some of the warning signs, because you did talk a little bit about that in regards to some of the things that you think your kid is sad. If your kid is seriously trying to harm himself or someone else, if there's a sudden overwhelming fear for no reason, involved in multiple fights, severely acting out of control, not eating, throwing up, intensive worries or fears, extreme difficulty in concentrating, repeated use of drugs and alcohol, severe mood swings, and drastic change in the behavior or personality. Those are signs that you need to go talk to somebody and get your child for help. Now, let's move on with some of the adult disorders. And because I wanted to talk a little bit, not only just some of the mood disorders, but also some of the personality disorders, because that's a whole other issue. But with some of the mood disorders, let's talk a little bit about depression. 
And one of the things that we're noticing with depression, and depression also is a word that is also used many different ways. Some people used to say, I'm feeling bad, I'm feeling blue, I'm feeling sad, you know, the sadness. What what are some of the things that you've seen in regards to symptoms of depression? Well, you know, there's some of the things you already mentioned, uh, uh, by all means, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, depression. And depression shows up in so many, you know, different ways. Um, uh, Feelings of emptiness, um, as an example. You know, um, uh, sleep, you know, can be interrupted. uh, A lot of sleeping or not enough sleep. Um, Mm -hmm. Eating uh, patterns may change in terms of uh, depression. Isolation. Um, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they also show up, uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, having a displeasure in things that you once enjoyed in terms of your activities and, and also this whole sense around irritability and, and just general unhappiness, mm-hmm. you know, um, and those kind of things, problems with memory and concentration and decision making, things of that nature, um, um, motivation, you know, the, you lack the energy for any type of motivation and, and feeling worthless. Oftentimes you hear people say, well, I'm just not worthy. I just don't feel, I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm not bad. I don't have any value. You know, so mm-hmm. when these things lead into thoughts of, of, of death or suicide, and you know, so, so these are some of the things that we, that we see that, that, that uh, you know, around depression, some of the symptoms right. and, and things that show up regarding depression, just as a small, you know, small example of what uh, uh, depression may, you know, may encompass. Let me, let me share, let me break in my quick, because even with depression, there's also depression in children, and it can happen in childhood. A lot of women that are given birth also deal with symptoms of postpartum depression. Some individuals right. can, basically, there can be a family history of depression, and, you know, it can also be um, something that's clinical. But depression itself has no single cause and often involves interactions with basically many diversions, social factors, and things of that nature. And people may become depressed when something very distressing has happened, and they feel powerless to control the situation. Now, I'm going to give you some examples, because these are some things that can happen in our lives that we may not even realize that can contribute to depression. And one of them is a breakup of a relationship or living in conflict. That's a big one. Long-term poverty, a loss of a job, or difficulty finding a new one, having an accident that results in long-term disability. Being bullied or victimized, being a victim of crime, developing a long-term physical illness, the death of a partner, family member, friend, and those are just to name a few. Let's talk about some other things that you may have seen or heard that can cause depression or certain situations that people may be dealing with. Well, you know, those, you know, one of you mentioned, you, you, you know, my mind went to a variety of things when you mentioned um, poverty, victimization, so on and so forth. I, you know, I, I also, because a lot of my work is from a, uh, is from a multicultural lens. So that means I'm dealing with certain things because people from different cultures, although all of us may have some level of depression at some point or another, but we don't necessarily, from a cultural standpoint, it may be different for us in terms of what our focuses may be. You know, so mm-hmm. I think that that's an important thing for any listeners to consider, especially any clinicians that may be listening, is that is that we cannot use a cookie-cutter approach around the whole uh, concept of depression. 
Um, mm-hmm. and you mentioned poverty as an example, long-term poverty. Long-term poverty will certainly, you know, impact certain groups, you know, in one way versus another group. Now, we need to take, mm-hmm. a, take a look at, at those particular cultural lenses as it relates to those particular things. Um, you know, uh, I've used, you know, women who are often now um, single moms, you know, um, the depression and the stress levels that they have to deal with, you know, there's, you know, there's different viewpoints relating to that as it relates, you know, mm-hmm. to depression and culture. So I just wanted to kind of add that. I know that wasn't specifically what you asked, but I just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, you know, put that out there because it's something for all of us to consider so we do not just put everybody into one particular bag as it relates to this thing called depression. Because depression, as I say, within the community that I represent, you know, um, is, is going to have some different kinds of conversation when I talk to, if I'm going to talk to a therapist in relation to my depression within my own community and my family and my, and my, my cultural lens, it mm-hmm. would be quite different than someone who is not of my same. So right. I think that we need to be very careful as it relates to, and then I also think about, and we'll, well, we maybe we'll get to this because I, I, I've got some things around um, uh, women, particularly African-American women, relating to depression. And so some very interesting things about that. Maybe we'll have time for that. If not, I'll come back another time. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that I said, you know, so talking about depression, people can experience depression as an effect of side effects from medications and drugs, too. And the stress of having a mental disorder such as schizophrenia or anxiety disorder or an eating disorder could also lead to, dis- to depression. But one of the main things we look for in depression is we want to put up warning signs and suicide. You know, if a person is depressed or, you know, there's certain things we need to be aware of. We need to find out if they've been threatening to hurt or kill to themselves or someone else. If they're looking for ways to kill themselves or seeking access to either pills, weapons, or other means. Talking about... Um, either death or dying or suicide, expressing hopelessness, feeling rage, anger, seeking revenge, acting recklessly or engaging in risky activity, feeling trapped, increasing alcohol and drug use, withdrawing from friends and family members, which you talked about the isolation. If they're experiencing anxiety, agitation, unable to sleep or sleeping all the time, or if you've seen some type of undergoing dramatic changes in mood, or feeling for no reason that they want to live, no sense of purpose in life. Those are some of the things that we really, really, really need to look, in, look into. Now, also with the mood disorders, with the depression, is bipolar. Now, with bipolar, that's another disorder that individuals are being diagnosed with. Share a little bit about your insight in regards to bipolar and that diagnosis. Well, you know, just kind of overall, just just from a general construct, you know, you know, when we look at bipolar, you know, it's, it's, it's what we so people understand. You know, what we're talking about basically is a, is a sense of, 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 of a set of mood swings and, and conditions from that. Uh, they can be, uh, uh, you know, they can, you know, bipolar is it's going to range. You know, and the people can be quite quite mad about certain things, that, but the, they have low to high mood swings, mood swings, and and these can be brought on by a variety of you know of, of things. So so when we think about bipolar, you know, the whole sense of bipolar, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it's just the idea that that it has also to me has been um, one. Sometimes I think it's overdiagnosed, and I think that other times within certain uh, constructs, it is not diagnosed at all. So 
So and mm-hmm. I, I hope that doesn't sound too contradictory, but but uh, for the listeners, you know, what you just think about it, it's two, two sides of the coin. You know, you know, the, the, the coin has values no matter what's on whether it's head, heads or tails. And, you know, same thing with bipolar. You know, the idea here is that there's a value, you know, that we need to pay attention to when people are being overdiagnosed with bipolar. Mm-hmm. There's a certain value to that, you know, and that that, that, that can be a disservice. But then it can be a disservice in terms of the value when it is it is not diagnosed or treated at all. Because part of the process, again, going back mm-hmm. to what we started about, I was talking about earlier, is that people may not want to go to the place that needed the treatment because of the labeling and such. And so, therefore, the access, also access to, to services is going to have a direct impact on the whole, the whole thing about bipolarism. But, but bipolar, you know, often develops in, you know, in late teens or early adults, you know, early adult years. You know, um, you know, the, the, you know, some of the, the research says that it usually starts, you know, you know, before the age of 25, mm-hmm. but it has, you know, but it also can show up after that particular, you know, that particular age, you know, so, so it is, a, it is a long-term illness and, and all the time we don't know all of it, we recognize some of it that may be around issues around what's going on in the brain, you know, it can also mm-hmm. be around environment. There's a variety of things that we have to take a look at. Genetics plays a, a, you know, an important part to the sense of bipolar. So, we'll, so when we're doing work, we want to find out. So there's an right. assessment process. What you want to label it. Okay. Find out. Huh? No, that's well, correct. Be, uh, and we, uh, yeah, family 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 family. One of the things you know, I want to talk about, Carla, for some reason, we have not had a boy, and we are about to be running out of time on the show. Okay, but all right. I want to talk a little bit about anxiety disorder, just to give the listeners some information in regards to what is anxiety disorder. And as we know, even though everyone experiences anxiety at some time in their life, and anxiety can be quite useful in helping the person to avoid dangerous situations and motivate the person to solve an everyday problem, but Anxiety can vary in severity from mild to uneasiness to a terrifying panic attack. And anxiety can also cause a, a variety of different things where individuals become very anxious, they can have panic attacks, they are disordered, and they can also have what's called a phobic disorder or generalized anxiety. Now, when we're looking at anxiety, the one thing we want to know is with anxiety is are we becoming very obsessive-compulsive? Is it due to acute stress disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder? But things of that nature, we want to try to find out what is causing the anxiousness. And not only with just the depression, because we spoke a lot about depression, we spoke a lot about bipolar and anxiety, but some of the things that lead to psychosis and the schizophrenia, and if a person is having bipolar with, with, with mania, and, you know, bipolar 1, bipolar 2. And I know, Kahala, so we can go on and on and on about this because it's something that people really need to hear and gain insight and information. But let's talk a little bit about people or individuals that are what's called dual diagnosis. Because one of the things that I find, because I'm the owner of the Center for the Treatment of Addiction, and a lot of the claims that we treat have what's called dual diagnosis. They may have a mental health disorder in addition to a substance abuse disorder. And one of the things that's kind of hard to determine is if the, the disorder is substance-induced in regards to the schizophrenia, because with schizophrenia, what we see is the audio-visual hallucinations, which are the main two things with schizophrenia. And we also have what's called schizoaffective. When a person has the, 
is schizophrenic in addition to having behavior problems where they may be having difficulties with getting along with other individuals. We have the schizoid. We have schizo... You know, schizophrenia has different categories in regards to schizophrenia. But when you talk about drug use and some of the drugs that people are using, like the methamphetamine and the marijuana, which automatically makes them hallucinate, what do you see or how can you determine or what kind of help do you give families in regards to when you're looking at a substance abuse issue and a mental health issue for dual diagnosis? Wow. Wow, you make some more. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, again, you have some good questions. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's really interesting because when there are dual diagnosis processes here, you know, it's really difficult to even deal with the with some of the um, the emotional, behavioral, and mental issues when a person is still engaged in substance um, substance usage. You know, are they abused or are they addicted? So we want to recognize what you know, what level of that, whatever that that drug of choice, if you will, you know, um, to what degree are they engaged with that? Because there are people who are addicted, there are people who are abusers, you know, so, you know, who may not be addicted, but they're abusers, you know, of that particular drug as well. So we want to, you know, so to me, one of the first things we recognize the depth of that use of that, of that particular drug. Because if we're going to be using, here's an example. Now, I have a guy that comes in, you know, I have a, a client that comes in and, and, and it is a dual diagnosis issue. Well, if they come, because people will come to uh, services under the influence. Correct. And so you have to recognize if they're under that influence, the work that you're trying to get done from a mental health uh, capacity is, is not going to be effective. It's, it's, it's almost like a, 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 a no-win situation. Because I have a question, though, Kahalifa. Do you guys not. have a... Because one of the things we do is we have a zero-tolerance policy. And if they have a mental health issue, because people will self-medicate, because a lot of times what's happening is a lot of times individuals don't feel comfortable taking a lot of the medications that's prescribed to them by the doctor. So what they're doing is they're, they're using street drugs. You know, we see right. a lot of individuals that are schizophrenic that may be alcoholics. We see a lot of individuals, some that are schizophrenic or that they're bipolar and they make this methamphetamine. So they're using drugs on the street versus taking the drugs that the, the, the psychiatrists are giving them. Because like you said, one of the things is a lot of times individuals are either under-medicated or over-medicated. And when exactly. they become over-medicated, sometimes they'll either just stop using the meds or they'll use other alternatives because they don't know what's working, what's not working. So I know one of the things we do is we have a zero tolerance, so we will not allow them because we can't, we don't know sometimes whether they high or whether it is the mental illness. And another thing I want to touch on in regards to the psychosis is working with individuals that have what's considered disassociative identity disorder, which used to be multiple personalities. I'm noticing that that's on the rise too. Well, I've been working with individuals, and I'll see, I think I'm talking to one person, and all of a sudden I've got a whole other character sitting in front of me where they just switch. Have you seen a lot of that in your practice? Well, well, well I've seen some. I, the, the identity issues that, I, that I've seen more so is, might be a little bit different from what you've been accustomed to. Part of the identity I may look at, you know, what comes to us is the you know, identity of self. You know, so this, so this the question, who am I, you know, um, which may be related to what you're speaking to, but all of it, you know, is oftentimes associated to who am I and who will accept me as, 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 as I am. 
so, so the identity crisis or identity issues that we may deal with may be just a little bit different because a lot of it has to deal with not just personalities as you're speaking to, but it also deals with their personal life and engagement within their environment. Gotcha. So, 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 so we're talking about yeah, the psychosis. So we have a different approach to that. Gotcha. When we're talking about the psychosis and the types of disorders where psychosis can occur, like I said, with the schizophrenia, like I said, with the delusions. I want to give the listeners in regards to delusions. Delusions is what's called a false belief, a perception, or guilt. Having basically believing that people things are, are happening outside of their control. And although the delusions may seem bizarre to others, they are very real to the person that are experiencing them. Hallucination, most commonly involving hearing voices, but can also involve seeing things, feeling things, tasting things, and smelling things. And these are perceived as very real by the person, but are not actually there. And what's happening is, because of the visitors are experiencing that, it's very difficult for the other person to believe it. You know, where people will see things or talk to people or be standing engaged in a whole conversation. And one of the things I want to give, because I know we are running out of time, is one of the things we need to do is we want to take an action. And, again, this is coming from your book in regards to what we, some of the importance we need to do for early intervention of psychosis. Assess for the risk of suicide and harm again, which is one. We also need to listen non-judgmentally. Absolutely. Yes. Give reassurance and give information and encourage appropriate professional help. When we talk about professional help, professional help can include primary care physicians, mental health professionals, certified peer specialists, psychiatrists, and like you said, MFTs, counselors, just someone that can basically help you. Because when we encourage Self-help also with the individuals because we don't want the individuals to feel like, you know, they're, they're nobody, that something's wrong with them. We want to empower them to let them know that people are listening. People do care because a lot of times what happens is they don't trust anyone. The family don't trust anyone. They don't want nobody to know, and it becomes a secret, and we can't keep this a secret anymore. Because we're at a point right now where, as a society, we really have to educate ourselves and learn about these different things so that we can also help when there is a mental health crisis, when we're seeing things. And um, I wanted to talk about personality disorders, but time is not going to permit us to do so. But one of the things that I do want to say about personalities is a narcissistic personality disorder. We're finding a lot of that. And with the personality disorders, those are things that are disorders, but some of them we wonder they're not really as treatable as we can see or help someone with depression or someone with anxiety. When a person comes to you with a borderline personality disorder and things are either black or white, there's nothing gray and um, things of that nature. Now, I just finally got a message that we have four minutes to close. And Kahalifa, I want to thank you for being on the show with me today. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your insight. And if you are or someone was, are interested in you perhaps coming to their organization and doing a mental first aid training, because I still got my three-year certificate, which don't expire <laughs> 2018, how can they reach you or contact you to um, basically have you come to their well, organization and train and, your and staff? And a few seconds here. Uh, they can reach us online at www. 
HarmoniousLifeSolutions.org, um, or they can also call uh, area code 619-266-1181, or they can email me directly, Kahalifa, K-A-H-A-L-I-F-A, at HarmoniousLifeSolutions.org. Okay. And so basically, like I said, I appreciate you. And you can also contact Jeanette Abney at J-A-B-N-Y-L-M-F-T at gmail.com. Or you can also follow me on Twitter at J-A-Precious-P or Jeanette underscore Abney. Remember, don't be afraid to reach out and get some help because that's what people are there for. And so if you don't reach out to get some help and people are seeing it, you know, listen. Listen to your body. Listen to what things are happening and things that you're seeing. And just, like I said, tell somebody. And remember, until then, you got this. Now, next week, next week we'll be talking about parenting adult children. So you parents out there, kids have graduated (laughs) high school, turned 18, think they've grown, or they didn't finish college and want to come back home, if you want to tune in, join us at Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney as I'll be talking about parenting adult children. It's going to be an interesting show. And remember, you got this. We're talking about, like I said today, with mental illness means mental wellness. Let's get it together, and there are people out there. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Precious Predicaments with Jeanette Abney. Please join us again for another program next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until then, have an easy and relaxing week. You've got this.